chaos in Afghanistan and at the U.S. Capitol. Hey girls and guys, I'm Brandy with an I, and this is Did You Hear the News? Holly G. Willikers, what a week. What a week. So let's just start with the biggest story in news. The Taliban took over Afghanistan. And they were taking over for a while. Uh, but apparently it wasn't expected that they would take over so soon. So when they took over Kabul, which I guess is like a big city, everybody was like, what, what, so soon, you know? And so it's been just a huge story dominating the news because that Kabul airport is the only airport in which people can get in and out. That's including U.S. citizens, that's translators and, and people who work with the army and stuff, you know, when they were fighting the war to help the U.S. side. And just so it was like mass chaos, like people trying to get to the airport, people at the airport on the tarmac, jumping on the planes as they take off, a couple people died because they fell from planes as they were taking off. It was just just terrible sight to see. There's video, of course. Just heartbreaking because clearly these people are desperate, right? Desperate. So it's just pretty hard on the ground there. Like I said, the Taliban has taken over that city. So the issue is that the U.S. is like, okay, we're going to try to get out as many people as we can, as many of our people, as many of those people who have the proper paperwork, who should be relocated. We're trying to get those people out as soon as possible. The issue is the U.S. does not have really any control over what happens outside the airport. Once people get to the airport and if they can get in, they're good to go. But the issue is there's this bottleneck so that there are throngs of people outside the airport or not in the vicinity of the airport who are trying to get through. They have to go through certain checkpoints that the Taliban have set up. They are showing the Taliban their paperwork. Now, this is what a reporter said on the news. I don't know how true it is, but apparently, like, they're not super literate. So they're showing these people paperwork, and they don't know what they're reading, not to mention that a lot of the paperwork is in 
English and they don't know how to read the English either. So it's just making for a crazy situation because apparently the Taliban will let some through but not others and there's like zero rhyme or reason for who they decide to let through. I guess it's just the kindness of their heart in that split second. Like there's there's no type of okay, people who have this, that, and the third, they can go. It's none of that. So as of yesterday, <laughs> I think the the US was basically sending out emails to their citizens there saying just get to the airport. Like, by any means possible, try to get to the airport. Like, try to get in any way you can. Because other than that, we we don't we don't know what to do for you. Which I think is just really sad and terrible. So, let's just talk about how we got to this point. And I'm going to give a little history lesson. And I want to preface... Everything I say and every opinion I give by stating I am by no means a foreign policy expert. That's why I haven't really weighed in on really any of these arguments because there are people that know way more than I know about this situation. Like I can look at it outside looking in and give my commentary and give my ideas on what's going on, but I can't pretend that I begin to understand every little part of this complex situation. But let's try to start from about 1970s, 1980s, right? So back when the Soviet Union was causing so many issues, um, there was a group called the Mujahideen, Mujahideen, and they were basically like guerrilla fighters. Like they were a resistance group. They were fighters, like a militia, and they were fighting the Soviet Union. And President Ronald Reagan funded them and gave them weapons and whatnot to fight the Soviet Union. Well, around 1994, a faction of that group broke away and formed the Taliban. And so... They were a group who wanted to impose like their ideas about what Muslim law was. Like women aren't to be seen or heard. They can't get education. They can't work. They have to cover up. Like extreme stuff like that. They imposed those ideas basically. And so they also allowed terrorist organizations pretty much to like work in Afghanistan. There was like no kind of check on those type of terrorist groups, right? So if that started in 1994, like how do we get involved? Well, 
September 11th happens, right? And even though, strangely, and I still haven't put the pieces together and somebody who knows better, let me know so I can share. But even though apparently most of the people that participated in September 11th were from Saudi Arabia, if I understand, um, we didn't focus on them like at all. Um, we focus on Bin Laden, who once again was, I think there's a really hinky history there because at some time there were some ties, I think, that the U.S. had to Bin Laden. I can't say for sure what they were. That's more research that I'd have to do, but basically... The issue was that bin Laden was a part of Al-Qaeda, which was a terrorist group, and the Taliban was allowing the Al-Qaeda the space to work and build and do whatever they do in Afghanistan, which is part of, part of how we end up in Afghanistan in the first place after september 11th like this history is so complex and convoluted it's just really crazy if you have the time i would suggest you just sit down and google it and try to understand because a lot of it is going to be confusing a lot of it's not going to make sense because you're going to be like well then why were we focused on like iraq and so it just doesn't make a lot of sense but that's basically how we saw ourselves in Afghanistan after 9-11. So, I guess, you know, U.S. invades Afghanistan or, or you know, goes into Afghanistan. Bin Laden flees to Pakistan, which that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. And so, I think that's why it took a while for U.S. to catch him or whatnot. Anyways, so at this point, going into present day, we've been in Afghanistan for close to 20 years because around 2017, the Taliban reached out to former President Donald Trump. They wrote him a letter and they're like, listen, just get your troops out of Afghanistan because we don't want it. And... You saw that the former administration started basically working with the Taliban, like forming like deals and truces and stuff with the Taliban, but like completely cutting out the Afghan government, which we're supposed to be working with, right? And so basically the U.S. and the Taliban agree that, okay, if you agree to get your troops out of here by a certain date or time, we won't attack your troops. Because at this point, like, it's ongoing battle, right? So they're like, if you agree to pull your troops by a certain time, we'll agree not to attack. So that's why when you hear people say, oh, well, there hadn't been any deaths or anything since, you know, so such and such time ago, that's because they worked with that former administration. Also, 
the former administration agreed to let go of like 5,000 prisoners, Taliban prisoners. I think I mentioned this last week. So that was part of their agreement. And so now one of the prisoners that was let go is actually leading the Taliban right now. So let's put it all back together. 2017, they sent Donald Trump an open letter and were like, we want y'all out. Donald Trump and his administration worked with the Taliban, hosted them, met with them, took pictures with them, flashed grins and smiles and all of that, agreed to leave by what was supposed to be May this year and let out 5,000 of their troops that or killing our U.S. soldiers, right? Let those let those guys out, and in in turn, the Taliban upheld their part of the agreement and did not attack U.S. soldiers. Now, here's the problem: former President Trump did not get reelected. Okay, that's really the only difference. Because President Biden also felt and has felt for a long time that we needed to get out of Afghanistan. Now, there was some back and forth about whether or not he was always against the nation building part of Afghanistan. Because if you remember, the maybe you don't know. The whole reason, once again, that we went to Afghanistan was so that we could stop those terrorist groups from attacking the U.S. From We could stop that region of the world from being a place that harbors terrorist groups that can get together and plan out and execute attacks on the U.S. and their allies. That was the point. And then at some point, I'm not entirely clear when, but at some point it became a nation-building mission. And it turned into, well, how do we help them build up their nation after we destabilized it? But once again, that's a whole nother talk for another day. How do we help them build their nation? We are helping, you know, women and stuff have the right to go to school and all of this stuff like that. But the issue is, how do you keep that up long-term without being in the country forever, right? And so President Biden, with all the people that he has at his disposal that have the intelligence that he needs, looked at where we were at presently, what it would look like for the future, and basically had to make a calculation. Now, I said that was the only difference, but it wasn't. The other difference was that even though he felt like we should leave Afghanistan, he felt like not as soon as Donald Trump had set us up to move, right? So let's recap. The former administration worked with the Taliban, cut the Afghan government out of any of those talks, any of those negotiations, took the word of the Taliban. And to be fair, they stuck to it. They did not attack U.S. soldiers as they said that they would not do. 
a new administration comes in. The president assesses with his experts and he is, he decides there's really no point for us to stay. But we shouldn't leave as soon as we said we would originally in the previous administration. Now, once again, this upset the Taliban. They were like, that's not what we agreed upon. The former president was like, that's a mistake. You need to get troops out immediately. Talk cash trash. Um, because, of course, they had lauded on his website, on the GOP websites, on other, you know, Republicans who have was they had lauded the fact that the former president and his administration were involved with peace talks with the Taliban and they had made all of these strides and they come to this agreement with the Taliban, right? So they had lauded all of that information. And when Joe Biden said, Well, we're not gonna pull them out in May, we're gonna push it back to August, it was uproar like why would you do that? Like, that's a huge mistake. Troops need to be pulled immediately. And when the troops were pulled out, now, once again, this whole thing has been messy. Yes, for sure. It's been messy. It is a mess. It is a crisis right now. And everybody's looking at Joe Biden like, because let's be fair, there were many people who said, even that May date was too soon. The August date was too soon. And there was much that needed to be done before we completely pulled troops. So I'm not going to say that there weren't people that weren't against Donald Trump's plan. And people that those same people weren't also against Biden's plan to just full out remove everyone from Afghanistan. There were critics. There were people who said this is going to be terrible if you do this. And there were people who were like, you need to keep some troops there because it's going to fall apart. Now, President Biden says that the intelligence that he received did not suggest that Afghanistan would fall in a matter of weeks, right? The intelligence that he got, the way he makes it seem is that it was believed it could happen, but not for months, at least. Like, he felt like, and I guess his administration felt like, and his advisors felt like, okay, there's going to be destabilization. There's, I mean, because the Afghan government wasn't as strong as they would have led us to believe. So there's going to be some kind of destabilization, but how soon is it going to happen? That was the question. It appears no one believed it would happen this fast. Like, he's very honest about the fact that that took them off guard. They were expecting that even if they pulled out their own, you know, soldiers and stuff, they would still have time to get people out. The visa processes for, you know, those Afghan people who had helped and all that stuff. They had they felt like they had time. I mean, they even tried to cut some of the red tape so it would go faster. Like they felt like they had time, but they didn't, obviously, because the Taliban took over a lot sooner than was expected. 
So now we have this crisis where U.S. citizens are trying to get out. Afghans are trying to get out. And it's just a mess. And people are desperate. And for a minute, they had to just stop like all flights in and out so that they can pull in more troops so that they could man the airport there. So it's like, okay, what do you do, right? Who do you blame? Everybody's been trying to blame everybody. Uh, President Biden said he fully owns what's going on right now, but says his hands were tied, right? Because once again, the former administration made this deal with the Taliban. So he said his only options were either he breaks this deal and then he has to send in more troops because there's going to be more fighting or he honors the deal even though he pushes it back a little while he removes the troops and it and it collapses like the way he makes it seem like he doesn't he didn't have a better plan right he stands 10 toes down behind what he did and pulling the troops out and all of that stuff he does not feel like the outcome would have been better if they did it now or 10 years down the line. Like that's how he feels straight up. And I guess I can understand that. Like he he feels like how many more of your sons and daughters and how many generations are, am I going to send to this war that I've already gotten the intelligence on and it looks like it's pointless. Like it looks like there's going to be no quote unquote win for America to stay here. Like we're tied up here. There's other things that we could be focusing on, but we're putting our resources, I mean, trillions, trillions of dollars have gone into this war for 20 years. So it's like, he felt like there just was no point. There was no point in staying. There was no point in sending more troops. There was no point in extending it any longer for the same thing that is happening now to happen then. He felt like there was no point. He's also said that he felt as if the Afghan army was prepared to do what they needed to do. He always throws out this number of 300,000 Afghan forces. Now that has been disputed. So I'm not really sure where he got that number from and what intel he had to say that there were 300,000 Afghan troops that could fight the 75,000 Taliban, right? And so I just really think it was a perfect storm of things, right? We pull out. I mean, we started closing everything down. We had an Air Force base there, right? And some people say, well, he shouldn't knew this was going to happen as soon as he closed the Air Force base and left only one real airport to get out. But the thing is, okay, if you if you keep the Air Force base open, soldiers have to man it. So it's like soldiers would still have to be there to man that Air Force base. And then at what point can you pull them out? I just think it was 
once again, I'm not there. I'm not in anybody's situation room. I'm not getting asked for my advice for anything. But I'm trying to imagine all the things that one would see that they would say still pulling everyone out's the best outcome, right? So Joe Biden says his hands were tied. He did what he needed to do. He stands behind it. He owns everything. But you also have to remember <laughs> that there were workings going on before him, prior to him, and that he had to basically somewhat kowtow to those talks or those agreements because if not, that meant sending more people back. And that's never what he wanted to do. He wanted to be out. He did not want to prolong it. He wanted it to be over. Now, what do I think about it? I feel as if he's probably right. The outcome probably would definitely not have changed. And if they really did plan for every single contingency that they thought would have occur, then, okay, this unexpected taking of Afghanistan by the Taliban so quickly was just not what you expected based off of the intelligence you had. I can understand that. What I feel like could have been done better is really trying to speed up the process of getting people out. Like, to me, it feels like, why would you leave civilians, U.S. or Afghans, who need to be moved out of the region with either so few troops or none at all? Like, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense because it's like, even if you expected that the Af that the Taliban would not take over that quickly. It's just like, why would you not just leave somebody there to make sure there's some order, right? The agreement was the end of this month, and it's what, the 27th? So they had what, f until the 31st, right? And now we're about two or three weeks out when all of this starts taking place. It's like, why did, why was there not a better plan to move people out and why was there not some sort of communication because they're communicating now with the taliban like the top army generals are communicating with the top taliban officials so it's like why not say listen and maybe they're not reasonable guys i don't know but why not say listen i know that another administration made plans with you but we're a new administration. We're trying to get a handle on this situation. We have people there that we want to get out. Give us some time to figure that out. And this is this is talking specifically about the U.S. citizens. Because of course they had an answer for the Afghan citizens. So President Biden says that he had talked to the Afghan president. Now remember it. This guy fled the country. He most recently resurfaced in Dubai, if I'm not mistaken. And it's like, why? So basically, they talked to the Afghan government and they said, 
please don't start sending out masses of people because that's going to look bad on us, right? That's going to make it look like there's no faith in the Afghan government, blah, blah, blah. And something else he mentioned was another reason why they didn't. But basically, he said that the Afghan president and government asked him specifically, not specifically, specifically, to not start a mass exodus of Afghan citizens because he feared that that would bring distrust in the Afghan government. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. How do, how do people trust in the government when the president leaves as soon as ish gets rough, right? And last week I said on the podcast, like it seems like they didn't even fight, right? And that's partly true. Um, but apparently there were like some special forces on the ground that were trying to fight. But it's like the government seemed to completely just unravel, right? And even if you do have these 300,000 troops, who who's commanding them? Who's leading them? Where are the people in leadership? They all just kind of like bounced. So yeah, I guess the I guess President Biden wanted to honor what the Afghan government was asking because we're supposed to be working with them, right? Like we're not supposed to be skipping over them to work with the Taliban. Like we're supposed to be working with the Afghan government. And if you're going to work with the Taliban, bring them in, right? That seems like the smart thing to do, but obviously that's not what was done in the last administration. So the issue is now when the Taliban takes over all the regions with the lightning speed, even faster than we thought they would with almost no pushback. Now you have an influx of people who are desperate to get out because they know they've helped the United States in some way. They've translated, they've worked at these embassies. like, And they know that they're on the list. It's only a matter of time before someone comes knocking on their door to kill them. Like That's exactly how they feel and they're not exactly wrong. So it's like, I feel like in anticipation for what is happening, maybe there should have been some workarounds for that. Once again, like I said, I think I read somewhere that they tried to kind of cut down on as much red tape as they could as far as like the visa processes and all of that stuff. But now it's an emergency, right? And I feel like before it became an emergency, it should have at least been... Well, let's start figuring out how to move pockets or groups of people, right? Like, let's maybe not move them out in droves, right? But like, let's start doing that. But now you have an airport that's overrun, a city that's been taken over by the Taliban. They got up checkpoints, like it's checkpoints to get like out of the city and like to the airport. Like there's checkpoints all over. So it's like, you got to make it through these Taliban checkpoints to at least even get to the airport. And it's like, can you even get 
in the airport when you get there. It's chaos. It's chaos. People handing their babies to soldiers and all of that stuff. It's pictures of like aircrafts with over 800 people just trying to get out. Like it's chaos. And I feel like I'm not going to say President Biden is arrogant. I feel like he's being very stern in the decision he made, but he kind of refuses to admit that it's a catastrophe. And I understand, listen, he's like, we're aware of what's going on. We're doing what we can. We're sending who we can. We're trying to get it together. The airport is basically now running more smoother because we have people to handle the airport. But admit it was a catastrophe. And it was a catastrophe for these reasons. And regardless of who did what, when, and where, it's a catastrophe on your watch. I get you own it, but it's like not enough for you to say, I take responsibility for this mess. It's it's actually acknowledging that there's a mess, you know what I'm saying? But I appreciate, you know, I guess him, because he did an interview with George Stephanopoulos where he said, it's because George is asking like, okay, well, what are, what are you doing about the people left there? And like, do you plan to leave soldiers there for as long as it takes to get people out? And I feel like he also kind of can't commit to that. And it's like, I don't know. I'm not a foreign policy expert. I'm not on the ground. I don't know who they're talking to, but it seems like if, if your top guy can communicate with the top Taliban guy and you trust them enough to feel like they're not going to fire on you while you're trying to get people out, like try to see if you can do some missions to go out and get people like other governments are doing. Like apparently like the British government or like army and stuff like that and, and Australia army, they're going out into the city and they're trying to find people. The U.S. isn't doing that part. They're just maintaining the airport. So the question remains like, well, what about the people who can't get to the airport? Are they stuck? You know, there's just a lot of open questions that publicly don't have answers. I say publicly because maybe they know, like they have a strategy and they're not sharing it all. I don't know. But publicly, there are a lot of questions that don't have answers. Do I think this could have went better? Yes, if you felt like this was inevitable, whether it was a day, tomorrow, or 10 years from now, like, should have had a plan in place. What if this ish all topples down? Like, you say you plan for every contingency. To me, that means, well, what if it falls apart even when we think it doesn't fall apart? But it seems like they didn't plan for that. I, once again, I don't know. I hadn't seen their bullet points of you know, ideas and plans, plan A through Z. I haven't seen that. So I can't say for sure, but that's just what it feels like. So that's what's going on in Afghanistan. What's going on back here? (sighs) Republicans, Republicans. And that's not to say that all the Democrats are happy either. No, they're not. But we're already talking about, you know, the House, if the if the Republicans take the House back in twenty twenty two, having 
Benghazi style hearings about what happened in Afghanistan. And listen, by all means, do what you can to figure out what was wrong, what went wrong, the ways it could have been better. But Benghazi was a complete witch hunt. A lot of investigations, a lot of money from the same people who won't even support an investigation into people that actually came to try and kill them. American citizens. So it's just like, okay, yeah, I get it. But at this point, now you're trying to make it uber political. Like, and not only that, but like you're pretending that you didn't support the former president when he wanted to do the same exact thing. You are acting like it would have been better had he done it. Like, this man wanted to pull troops out even sooner than President Biden did. So whether the Af the Taliban took over in May or in August, I don't see a world in which Donald J. Trump would have been breaking his back to bring people to the U.S. The same people who are saying, oh my God, it's terrible that you left people behind are also saying, but don't bring them here. <laughs> Do not, don't bring them over here. Get them out, but send them somewhere else. Like it doesn't make sense. They have scrubbed their websites of any information about like his peace talks with the Taliban and all of that stuff. They're trying to basically scrub it from history to make it seem like they were completely against what President Biden just did when President Biden basically his hands were tied because of the deals that they did to which he had to do what he did. Like it, it's just like, it's like the audacity, the hypocrisy, like Nikki, Nimrod and Nikki Haley talking junk. But it's like, girl, you were just, you were just talking about how great it was that the former president was talking to tell me, saying things like, don't negotiate with terrorists. But Mike Pompeo is in pictures with these men smiling and cheesing. The former president wanted to invite these guys to Camp David. I don't know if that happened. I don't remember where they met. But he's like, yeah, come over here to our vacation spot and chill. But now it's suddenly, don't negotiate with terrorists. Like, what? That's what the former, that's what the former guy did. And that's why we had to leave or send more troops because we'd have to fight. Like, what do you want? What do you want? What do you people want? Anything to own the DMs and the libs or whatever. Like, here's the point. The majority of Americans want us to be done with this war, right? The majority of us do. Could it be more organized? Absolutely. Could have could it have been done better? I'm sure it could have. But the facts of the matter is it was always going to be a dire situation. 
it was likely always going to occur because the United States is not good at nation building. I wish they'd stop trying. They're not good at it. They just, they go in, they destabilize these countries, and then they try to build them up to be what they feel America is. And it's like, that's not going to work all the time. And so the Afghan government just was not strong enough. Not as strong as apparently we thought that they were. So <laughs> what do you expect? What do you expect? They should have expected chaos. Everyone should have expected chaos. That's how I feel. But if it, it just feels like they didn't plan for it like they said they, they did. They didn't plan for it as best as they could. And now here we are. Now, once again, I feel like this current administration is actually trying a lot more than the former administration probably would have. That's how I feel. The current administration, like I said, weren't even working with the Afghan government. They made their deals with the Taliban, the terrorists. At least this administration is trying to work with both because they're both on the ground. You have Afghan forces on the ground. You have Taliban on the ground. Trying to at least work with both to figure out or just say, listen, just give us a beat so we can get these people out. And then you run your country like you want to. Because at this point, we can't we can't be there. We can't be there permanently. We can't tell you what to do. And also, the Taliban apparently <laughs> agreed to make sure that they cut out all that activity of allowing terrorist groups to attack the U.S. and their allies. Now, are they going to stick to that? Nobody knows. People don't really want to trust the Taliban because of how they've been. And they're trying to come back as like a rebranded Taliban and say, well, no, we're going to keep letting girls go to school and stuff. Like, that's not a problem. But apparently the stories on the ground are different. So it's like... We made these deals. We negotiated with terrorists. We got these deals. And this is how they're unfolding. And the really the biggest issue to me is how we handled getting people out. The rest of what goes on in Afghanistan, I hate to say it's probably going to be terrible for women. That's heartbreaking. It's probably not going to be a good situation for a lot of people. That's heartbreaking. But America is not the fixer that they think they are. They just are not. They just are not. And so I don't I don't fault President Biden or even Donald Trump for both making the calculation that there's nothing here to gain and saying we got to go. I don't fault them for that. I just wish, as most of us do, that it had gone better. I wish there weren't throngs of people who feel like the U.S. completely left, let them down. Like, I, I just, I wish that wasn't the case. But that's where we are. And it's a very sad situation, regardless of how you feel about It's really sad. And I think those refugees should be able to come over here. I think... The U.S. owes them a great debt of gratitude. 
And I know that there are soldiers who fought alongside these people and are like trying to do the best that they can do to help these people because at a certain time they became family. So my heart goes out to all of these people. That's my thoughts on that. Um, Once again, like I said, I'm not really cool with, and of course the Republicans are going to do this because that's how they are and so are democrats too like it if this had happened under donald trump of course democrats would be using it right but like president biden said he's the fourth president to be in office under this war and he did not want to handle it to a fifth and to sit around and try to make it a Republican or Democrat issue, it's not. It's an America issue. Point blank, period. Two Republican presidents, two Democratic presidents. It's a U.S. issue. It just is. It's our fault. A lot of, a lot of this stuff is our fault. It's our fault. And it's kind of disgusting to see it being played out as like, oh, well, it's just the incompetence of, you know, the Democrats and Joe Biden and all that stuff. Like, no, it's a carryover, it's a carryover of the past administration into a new administration. And it's, it's two presidents on either side of the aisle seeing that there's no, there's no benefit. There's just no benefit. So, all of the best to all those people who are desperate and who are out in the sun for hours just trying their best to do what they can to get to safety, to freedom, to a new life. I don't know exactly what you can do personally, but there are different accounts and um, social media sites or whatnot where you can go and try to give to the Afghan people or at least um, lift them their voices so that we know what's going on because after a while we're not even sure if journalists will be allowed to report on what's going on there because it, it I've seen stories that journalists are actually being um, like hunted there so it's just a dire situation. Uh, it just reminds you that um, we're fortunate in a lot of ways. Um, and I just really hope that they can do what they can to help these people sooner than later. And uh, help as many people as possible. And get out as many people as possible. Because uh, that's just a really, it's just a really sad situation. Moving on to home, this will be a, a short segment. I just continue to be disgusted. <laughs> As a certain couple Republican governors just continue to fight tooth and nail against mask mandates and vaccination passports and all of that it's just a hot mess so governor greg abbott tested positive for covid this week and it's like what <laughs> tested positive for covid and then you find out 
that the same man who is fighting against mass mandates in schools and everywhere else has not only been fully vaccinated, but received a booster shot. Not only that, he also was like, hey, I got the COVID, but don't worry. I'm getting monoclonal antibodies. And I was like, you know what? Whatever, Greg Abbott. Like, here's the thing that keeps disgusting me, right? You make masks and vaccines political. And then you cowtail to the very loud minority, because if we're being honest, the majority of people want mask mandates and they want, even if they don't get vaccinated, like they want to be safe. They want to be sure that their children are going to be safe in school. But it's the loud, vocal minority, the ones who don't have day jobs or whatever, who show up to PTA meetings and school board meetings and are like shouting down the aisles with no mask on, who look like they're a big faction of people, but they're not. They're just louder. So it's like you're trying to appease these folks, but you don't mind other people dying for it. Make it make sense. And then when you yourself get sick, you have extra protection that these people don't have that they won't be able to afford, most likely. That they might not even be able to get access to in a hospital because the hospitals are overrun. I saw an infographic on the news and it was like, I think like 400 and some hospital beds in Texas. Do y'all know how big Texas is? And how many people live there? Millions. But only like 400 and some ER beds, ICU beds. Like, but Greg Abbott gets COVID. He's had not one, not two, but three shots. And he's getting monoclonal antibodies. Make it make sense. Then. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. Pray for us down here, y'all. It's continuing to fight these people about masks in the school. But you have, within the first week of school starting back, thousands of people in certain counties that are having to quarantine. You're seeing a rise in cases among young children since they went back to school a week ago. <laughs> really? But your board of education or whatever education secretary or whoever is telling people that they're not going to get paid unless they abide by your mask mandates like, why do y'all want children to die? I don't, I don't, that's, that part's beyond me. It's one thing if you say, hey, 
you don't have to wear a mask out at your local dive bar. Okay, but to be fighting, fighting tooth and nail, to not mandate masks in schools for children who can't even get vaccinated. Now, to be fair, Governor Ron DeSantis, he hasn't yelled this part, but he has said, get the vaccine if you want to get the vaccine. That's your choice, right? Get the vaccine if you want to get your vaccine. But at a certain point, it needs to be, but if you're not going to get a vaccine, and even if you do got a vaccine, you need to wear this mask. Because the children can't get vaccinated. Children 12 and under can't get vaccinated. So, like, why do y'all hate the kids? I don't, I, I don't, at this point, I don't have, what else can it be? Like, what else can it be besides you want children to die? Like, I, I can't think of anything else. Like, your career or your shot at being the president or what? Really? That, that doesn't make, why do you want kids to die? Because none of that other stuff even makes sense. Like, just ridiculous it's just ridiculous it's disheartening that like some of y'all still don't understand what it means when we say there aren't enough beds in the hospital that means whether you have covid complications or whether you get in a car accident or you have a heart attack or you have a sunstroke in this hot Florida heat, there's not going to be a bed for you. And if there is, it won't be for hours. And you could literally die in the ER waiting to be healed. Like, I don't get what y'all don't understand. I don't get what y'all understand. And then a picture surfaced of one of these Regeneron sites because, as I mentioned last week, Press, I mean, Governor Ron DeSantis has opened up these sites where people can get Regeneron, which is the monoclonal antibodies that Governor Greg Abbott is getting. And I haven't seen any kind of education sent out about monoclonal antibodies and what they do. I haven't seen any kind of guidelines. It's just, here's the site. But don't tell people that, listen, if you test positive for COVID, you can go get monoclonal antibodies. But by the time that you probably test positive for COVID, it's because you started having symptoms for COVID. And by the time you probably got your test back to say that you're positive for COVID, the way Delta is working, you're probably very sick. And by that time, you probably need a hospital more than you need monoclonal antibodies and that's why we saw a picture of a woman at the site in jacksonville which is in a library don't ask me how that works on the floor because she is standing room only there's no chairs or anything from my understanding she could not even stand she's laid out on the floor at this point this lady needs a hospital she doesn't need monoclonal antibodies at the time where you feel like oh you got a little sniffle 
that's when you might need monoclonal antibodies. It's not when you can't even lift your head up. But you don't tell people this. You just be like, oh, go get treated with this other experimental medicine if you don't want to get the vaccine that you complain is not FDA approved because it's experiment. Go get this other experimental medicine. How does this logic make sense, y'all? How does it make sense? How does it make sense to not get the vaccine because you don't know what's in it or it's not FDA approved? But then you go to a hospital and you get treated by a whole bunch of stuff you also know nothing about. Anyways, so that's why we're just, it's just really sad down here to see how these governors are acting. And then we see a Texas congressman or what, oh, I don't know who he was, but he's someone of stature in Texas. Get on the news and say, well, they keep talking about how we're stopping people from getting the COVID vaccine. But if you look at any city, you see that most of the people that aren't getting vaccine, and when, I, when he said we, he meant Republicans. Most of the people who aren't getting vaccinated are, are African-Americans. And why aren't the Democrats, and they usually vote Democrats, so why aren't the Democrats doing anything about that? And it's like, are you, are you, number one, trying to make us believe that most of the people in your state are African-American when we know that's not even how the makeup is of race in America? There's not going to be more African-Americans not getting vaccinated anywhere because there's not that many of us compared to white people, white Republicans who aren't getting vaccinated because they're Republican. Number two, are you also saying that because they vote Democrat, even if they're in a state that you are a congressman or, you know, legislator over it, you don't it's not your responsibility to try to get them vaccinated because they vote Democrat. Like These people are, are telling you how they feel out loud. Please believe them. Please believe them. They don't care if you live or die. And this is not me telling you go get the vaccine because you need to get the vaccine. But it's just think about it. If you don't want a vaccine... And you don't want to wear a mask. And you don't want to stay at home. What do you expect? How do you expect us to get out of this pandemic? At all. Let alone with minimal deaths. That could be prevented. Make it make sense to me. Make it make sense. Like, it's not even, it's no longer for me even a push to tell people to get vaccinated. It's a push for me to say, why don't you want to take any responsibility at all for your part in a global pandemic? Because we all have a part. 
there's this is not about personal freedoms and what I do only affects me. That's not true anymore. That's not true anymore. That's if maybe you happen to, you know, drink too much, you get in a one car accident because you had a DUI. That only affects you. COVID is not the same thing. That's not the same thing. And then y'all say, oh, well, you know, even if you got the vaccine, you can catch COVID and you can pass it. Yeah, but, but when I catch COVID, I'm less likely to need to go to the hospital, to take up a bed. I'm more likely to feel like I have a sinus infection and I've had my fair share. And I can stay at the house and I can take whatever I need to to make me feel better and I can get my rest and that's that. I don't have to call an ambulance, tie them up to get me to a hospital, to tie up a bed. That's the point. That is the point. And it's also less likely by a lot that I'm going to die. I just feel like it couldn't be any simpler than that. I just really, (laughs) it's not hard. It's not hard. Anyways, the last thing I want to talk about is the bomb threat that occurred uh, at the Capitol. Apparently, I guess this is an ongoing story because I really haven't seen much of it since it happened, which was, I think, Thursday? Yeah, Thursday. So, a North Carolina man. Yes, I can't escape crazy anywhere I go. A North Carolina man got in his pickup truck and drove to the Capitol. I think he was like near the Library of Congress or whatever, but he was in the Capitol building vicinity. And he was like, I got bombs, y'all. I got bombs. And of course, that was enough to send people in a frenzy because they're like, oh my God, he had bombs. And he was live streaming part of what was going on. And he was like telling President Biden that that he had to make a choice. And he didn't necessarily want Donald Trump to be reinstated. But he felt like all the Democrats needed to step down from their jobs. Which, okay. Um, Yeah, this man threatened to take out you know, a few city blocks with whatever he had in his truck on his live stream. He said if the police got to shooting, there was whatever he was, he had like a canister in his lap. Whatever he was holding was going to explode and that was going to be the if, the end for everybody. So, of course, he was taken seriously because we saw what happened on 1-6 and we have heard that the talk about the former president and patriotism and all of that stuff is getting more violent so of course he was taken seriously capitol police was on the scene trying to do whatever they could do they were like talking to him i think they um were like trying to negotiate with him this that, and the third it was just a lot it was just a lot and then what really ground my grits is they did that thing that they do where, well, you know, he appears to be going through some stuff 
and he lost his mother recently and that just means he had a bad day and he decided to get in his car and drive from North Carolina to Washington, D.C., which is an hours long drive, I guess, depending on where, what part of North Carolina. But he had to go through another state to get to the Washington, D.C. area. To call on a bomb threat. You know that when some of us have a bad day. We just take a nap. We just be like. You know what. Today's not going great. Let me take a little nappy nap. Some of us have a margarita. Some of us. Pop edibles where it's legal. It's not normal. To get in your car and drive across state lines with what you say are bombs and then threaten to detonate. Anyways, this man's Facebook and Instagram have been taken down and removed because what they found was that he was one of those who was a super duper fan of the former president had the last video he had shared was a video of Don Jr. saying like, y'all got to go out there and set it off and all of that stuff. So, um, these people are dangerous. <laughs> these people are dangerous. And I really hate how Republicans continue to rile them up, but like try to not make it seem like they're riled up. But I'm like, these people aren't operating in facts and truth. So even when you feel like you're trying to thinly veil something, they're going to take it to the extreme. For instance, Rep Mo Brooks, if you recall, Rep Mo Brooks was one who took part in that rally on 1-6 who came out and was like, we got to start kicking butt and taking names. And he also was, uh, he had a lawsuit filed against him from Eric Swalwell because of what he did that day. So Rep Mo Brooks, who obviously hasn't learned his lesson, put out a statement and for the most part, was like, well, you know, stuff like this shouldn't happen. But when people are faced with, like, a socialist, a something like that, those dog whistle words, right? People, when people are facing, like, socialism from Democrats and such and such, they feel like they have to do, they have to, you're the issue, right? Because you're the ones who keep telling them. That, oh, the Democrats are socialists. They're trying to change your life. They're trying to take this from you, even though you barely have a pot of piss in and a window to throw out of anyway. But they want to take all of that away. And it's just deadly for you. And, and, and you're saying this stuff. And even though you're not saying, go be violent, you're saying enough to scare these people into thinking that they have to take extreme measures. This is their fault. <laughs> this is their fault. And so we found out the guy's name. It's 
you know, they, they put his first, middle, and last name. You know, they have to do that when people go crazy so that you don't confuse them with another person that has the first, the same first and last name. So they've already three named him. Um, and that's really the most we heard from it. He did surrender after a few hours. I don't know, you know, how they talked him into doing that because he seemed very adamant about doing what he needed to do if he needed to do it. But they talked with him and he surrendered. Uh, I think CNN got a quote from his son and his son was like, listen, I know he's been going through some things. His grandma just, I mean, my mom, my grandma just passed and all this stuff like that. But nobody expected this. Like, apparently he went to sleep that night and his wife woke up the next morning. He was gone. Like, nobody expected that. And the son was like, I know that he gets really riled up and really upset. And I tell him, like, you need to worry about what you got going on home. Like, don't be worried about what's going on in Washington. And he basically told his son, I can't do that. We got to fight because they're trying to take us out. So, I don't know. I, and he also said in his video, in his live stream, I think, that there were bombs planted in the area. So, like, that's scary. That's scary stuff. And to think that Republicans would keep playing into that is scary, too. If Mo Brooks had to say anything, and he should just kept his mouth shut, but if he had to say anything, violence is not the answer. I understand that you feel frustrated with how your government is going. Meet us at the polls in 2022-2024. All of that extra stuff, unnecessary. Because these people, they latch on to any little thing. Any little thing. Just like the former president. They would say, oh, well, you know, he told us to stand back and stand by. Or, like, he would say, like, little dog whistle type things. And they would latch on to it because to them, they felt like that was code. If you're going to be in Congress, be intentional about what you say. And that's for both sides. Be intentional about what you say, but especially if there's a faction of your supporters who are really willing to blow everything up themselves included and that's that's my advice for that anyways thank you guys for listening i appreciate you returning every week to hear me rant and rave you can always follow me on facebook at did you hear the news d-i-d-j-a where i do morning updates of basically all the as much news as I can fit in a post that's going on. And then also on Instagram, interact with me. Tell me how you feel. Tell me what you think. As always, your support is appreciated. Bye.